Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, advancements in artificial intelligence have been one of the biggest news stories of the year, and it's technology that makes many people nervous. Does there need to be some level of regulation to protect us humans from the machines we create? Also this morning, for nearly anyone with restricted driving privileges or a suspended license, the Findlay Municipal Court wants to help get you back on the road legally with next week's DUS clinic. We'll get details. And the month of October begins with a youth theater production of the SpongeBob musical at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. We'll tell you what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, September 25th, 2023. Did you see the game, the end of the game uh, on Saturday? If you didn't, uh, you got to go back and watch the highlights. But even watching the highlights is just not the same if you didn't see the end of the Buckeyes game. And I got to admit, I almost turned it off. Uh, I almost walked away after the fourth and inches uh, with what? four minutes left that Ohio state didn't just under four minutes left that Ohio state didn't convert. And, you know, I was so disgusted that they didn't convert that short fourth down. And I figured it was over. I figured it was over, but the guy that I was watching it with said, kept saying, they got this, they got this. And it just so happened that the, and this is like the most random thing I think maybe to ever happen to me. The guy that I was sitting next to at the bar who kept saying, they got this, they got this, was Bob Stoops, (laughs) national championship winning former head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, Bob Stoops, sitting next to me at the bar as we were watching the Ohio State-Notre Dame game, and he was probably the least nervous guy in the room and the most confident that the Buckeyes were going to win. <laughs> so let me tell you the story. This was an absolutely, uh, absolutely true story. Uh, so my wife and I were in Cincinnati uh, this weekend for, uh, for a wedding. Uh, some friends of ours, their son was getting married. And uh, so the uh, reception kind of wrapped up early. It was about, uh, it, was, it was early third quarter. We got back to the hotel. I was watching the game. Uh, in the uh, second half, and uh, I get a text message from our friends said, "Hey, we're going to go watch the end of the game at this at this bar across from the hotel. You want to come over and have a drink with us?" And I was, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" It was still early, and and so we said, "Okay, we'll go." And uh, so we met them at the bar, and we walk in, and who is there in the bar? Just a random bar in Cincinnati across the street from the hotel, <laughs> but Bob Stoops. Now, he was in Cincinnati because Oklahoma was playing UC, played uh, UC earlier in the in the day, and he was actually uh, on the uh, Fox uh, TV uh, Big Noon Saturday show um, to preview the game because it was a big game uh, uh, in Cincinnati. And uh, so that's why Bob Stoops was in town, but he happened to be at that, <laughs> at that bar with a bunch of his uh, family and his entourage. And... Uh, <laughs> And he just happened to be watching the game with us. <laughs> the most random thing in the world. At one point, I turned to him because, I mean, it was just, you know, the it was heart attack inducing 
kind of kind of stuff at the end of that game. And I, I turned to him and I said, how did you do this for all, <laughs> all those years? And he said, uh, why do you think I retired? Um, but anyway, no, he was uh, more confident than anyone. and kept telling us, Buckeyes have this. Uh, and then when they uh, won the game, uh, he actually gave me a high five. So that was, <laughs> I high five Bob Stoops. <laughs> at the end of the game, it was just the most random thing. And uh, at the... <laughs> At the end of the game, after Bob, because I call him Bob now, we're, <laughs> we're on a first-name basis. So after Bob and his <laughs> entourage left, uh, my buddy, whose son got got married, is the one that got married, uh, turns to me and says, I, that might have been better than the wedding. <laughs> uh, so the father of the groom was, <laughs> that might have been better than the wedding. The mother of the groom was not amused at that anecdote. So, <laughs> but that was, that was my Notre Dame, Ohio State story. <laughs> Just crazy. I, I hope though that somebody, and I haven't seen it, if there's video of this, uh, I have not seen it. If you have video of the end of the game at Oktoberfest downtown, because, of course, they had the, the game up on the big, giant 17-foot screen. And we were not in town for Oktoberfest. I hate that I missed it. And especially with that ending of that game. Uh, if anyone has video of the moment <laughs> that Ohio State scores that touchdown to win, I would love to see it, because it, it would have had to have been absolutely crazy. Um, but what was really crazy about that game is that there were there were like half a dozen moments where you kind of go nuts because you know they they scored and then it, it well it appeared they scored and then they went to review it to make sure that Ohio State scored as time expired and so you know they get the score and everybody cheers and then they go under uh, video review and everybody's nervous again. And then they signal that, yes, indeed, the touchdown is confirmed. And everybody cheers, but they put one second back on the clock. And so everybody's nervous again. <laughs> and then, of course, the Buckeyes kick the ball out of bounds uh, to give Notre Dame decent field position for one last play with one second left. And, uh, you know, of course, they're they're scrambling around. Because you saw it. You know what happened. So, uh, so they don't score. Clock is over, uh, clock expires, and everybody cheers, but then there's a flag, <laughs> so everybody's nervous, and then it turns out that uh, the flag was on Notre Dame, and, and uh, uh, so everybody could cheer again. So it was, it was like back and forth. Uh, there were about a, a half a dozen times when you could cheer the uh, Ohio State victory. It was just a, a crazy game. Instant classic. Instant classic. And by the way, how does... Notre Dame dropped two spots after I mean I understand that you lost the game you're not going to move up in the rankings but they dropped from ninth to 11th after that performance and I I don't know I I think that is uh, cruel of the uh, pollsters to move Ohio or to move uh, Notre Dame down two spots after that performance I think staying where they were would have been the least they could do, but man, that's adding insult to injury there, moving the uh, Irish down after that performance. What a crazy, crazy game uh, that was on Saturday. And then uh, yesterday, crazy football 
stuff. Um, the Dolphins hanging 70 points on the Broncos yesterday. Wow. And the Broncos scored 20. So, it, you know, that's 90 points scored in an NFL game. Uh, just unheard of. So that was crazy. And uh, then in Kansas City, the uh, the Chiefs won big. But uh, the entire story was uh, surrounding Taylor Swift, who <laughs> was at the game, because apparently she and Travis Kelsey are now an item. So she was at the game, and that seemed like anyone uh, all the only thing anyone could talk about, even when Patrick Mahomes twisted his ankle, and it looked kind of ugly there at the end of the first half. And, but after the game, he got more questions about Taylor Swift he got more questions about Taylor Swift <laughs> than he did about his ankle. So the power of Taylor Swift. Uh, nobody even cares about Patrick Mahomes' ankle anymore. They just they asked him whether he felt any pressure with Taylor Swift in the building. So that's just crazy. Um, so a crazy weekend of football is not done yet. Uh, Bengals uh, play the uh, Rams tonight, Monday Night Football. So... And uh, we don't know the status of Joe Burrow, but anyway, if it's anything like uh, if it's anything like Saturday's game, yesterday's games, get an app today because you won't want to miss Monday Night Football. It might be crazy. Certainly, a lot of things to uh, talk about in the Buckeye Roundtable uh, this evening, right here on WFIN, beginning at six p.m. That is the plug, but it is very, very true. Not going to be one to be missed. Um. So anyway, how was your weekend? A couple of uh, stories that I happen to see on the uh, Newswire this morning among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Um, let's see. Oh, this is big news. I want to make sure that you know this right out of the gate because it's what we want to do, the most important stories to lead off your morning. According to new research out of Hope College in Michigan, sex can help protect against dementia. <laughs> that's, I kid you not, that's the research. Sex can help protect against dementia by increasing blood flow to the brain. And this is kind of interesting. For older Americans between the ages of 62 to 74, quality is key. However, once you hit age 75 on up, quantity is uh, provides the most benefit. So it's quality up to age 74, 75 and over, it's quantity. <laughs> quality versus quantity. <laughs> Professor Shannon Shen, Shen uh, from Hope College said, uh, it, is the, it is physical exercise. Sex is physical exercise, and exercise is linked to better cognitive performance by increasing blood flow to the brain. This may be especially true at older ages because high rates of sedentary behavior uh, once you reach uh, your senior years. And so any circulatory benefits are important. Although frequency does decrease with age, it may be one way to combat atrophy of the brain. Professor Shen said the rush of feel-good hormone the, the feel-good hormone dopamine also shields nerves linked to memory. So, 
Come on. Come on, dear. Doctor's orders. Doctor's orders. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there <clears throat> for the benefit of, uh, well, you know. <laughs> and uh, one other uh, item here. Among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, this is a bit of a uh, serious uh, note. Halloween is just a few weeks away, and wildlife experts want the public to know that there is one decoration that could pose hazards for wildlife, and that is those fake spider webs. They say don't use those outside, the fake spider webs. It can entangle hummingbirds. Well, birds of all kinds, even owls can get tied up in the um, in the fake spider webs. Um, bees, uh, beneficial insects of all kinds, and uh, small mammals even can get uh, tied up and uh, wrapped up in the uh, fake spider webs and can prove fatal. And you don't want you know dead squirrels on your porch or anything like that. So. Often, the creatures moving through the bushes or trees that are decorated with this material can get caught, resulting in the animals dying of injury, starvation, or uh, from other predators unless they are rescued and rehabilitated. This is from the Interim Division Administrator of the Nebraska Game and Park Commission's uh, Fish and Wildlife Education Division. Uh, She penned an email to Fox News Digital Uh, advising people don't use those fake spider webs in your Halloween decorations. Synthetic spider web decorations are made with plastic-based materials that aren't biodegradable either, which could pose a threat to wildlife if winds blow the fake webbing into other areas. So just don't don't do that. That's good advice. Good advice. We probably should should follow that. Wanted to point that out too. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. The November election is drawing closer, which will include an abortion rights amendment and the legalization of recreational marijuana in Ohio. Colin Dorsey with Owen and Affiliate WBNS-TV in Columbus reports. Military and overseas absentee voting's already underway with that November 7th election. Meanwhile, the deadline to register to vote is October 10th. Early in-person voting and absentee voting by mail starts that very next day. I'm Colin Dorsey. There is tension due to happenings at a suburban Cleveland high school football game in which Beachwood hosted Brooklyn Friday night. Neil Fisher with WKYC-TV has details. In a letter to the Beachwood Schools community, Superintendent Dr. Robert Hardis said that a number of anti-Semitic incidents took place on the field and that during halftime, Brooklyn's coach acknowledged using the word Nazi as the play call, then apologized and agreed to change it when the teams returned for the second half. Brooklyn City School Superintendent Ted Kolaris released the following statement, quote, on behalf of everyone in the Brooklyn City School family, we offer our sincerest apologies to the members of the Beachwood football family and school community. I'm Neil Fisher. Cincinnati hosts the L.A. Rams tonight, their first Monday night game since the one back in January that was postponed when Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and was revived. Quarterback Joe Burrow's status is questionable for the game since aggravating a calf injury last week. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network.
Well, the advancement of artificial intelligence has been one of the biggest news stories of the year, but many average folks still don't know that much about where, when, how, and why it is being used. Would it surprise you, for example, to learn that you probably interact with AI on a daily basis, whether you realize it or not? Well, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has just released a report detailing the impact of this technology for small businesses. And joining us is Jordan Crenshaw, Senior Vice President of the Chamber's Technology Engagement Center. Jordan, how are small businesses using AI? Well, what we found in our recent report that we released uh, just a few weeks ago uh, about how small businesses are using tech is that one quarter of small businesses are already using AI. Uh, and of the ones that aren't using it already, it's close to four in 10 are already thinking about using it in the future. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I think a big question is how are they using it? And the majority are using it for marketing and promotions, but some other popular uses are things like communicating with and identifying new and current customers. Um, in fact, 78% of small businesses said that AI helped them find new customers in the last year. Hmm. Um, but it all comes down to the bottom line is, is profitability. And um, we saw a 12-point jump between companies not using AI and those using it in terms yeah. of a likelihood of, of profit. It's, this is also probably one thing that will surprise a lot of people that is not just the giants like Google and Meta who are using this. And it's not even just tech companies for that matter. It's all sizes and all categories of businesses. Yeah. And in fact, I think that small businesses may actually be one of the groups that has the most to gain from AI. And, and just like any other technology, it, it really helps them compete because they don't have the resources that larger companies have. And and, and one of the things that we, we, we found on this report, not just related to AI, but that small businesses that use multiple types of tech platforms, and this could be everything from like social media or digital payments, um, actually saw better sales, better profits, uh, and even hired more workers. And um, even, uh, I think it's important to note from, from a competitiveness standpoint, 74% of small businesses in Ohio said that uh, technology platforms help them to compete with larger companies. Yeah. Uh, and it really just helped give them the leg up um, against companies that have more resources. So uh, we mentioned this uh, report. Tell us more about what this says about the impact of this kind of advanced tech for small business, both now and the potential that it holds. Well, a few things I think I'd note is that some, some of the most popular uses of tech that small businesses have are things like social media. And I actually uh, talked to a small business owner who said that uh, he used social media to do cooking classes so that he could stay connected to his customers and, and really keep that relationship going even when they're not inside the doors of the store. Mm-hmm. Uh, digital payments uh, are, are, are also uh, big as well. But in the future, companies are looking at things like virtual reality, to deliver new experiences, potentially automated vehicles for things like food delivery. Um, but I think also it's important to note that the tech platforms are helping address challenges that we're seeing in our economy now. And 70% of small businesses said that tech helped them to not have to pass on increased costs uh, during a time of inflation to customers. So hmm. um, it, it is, it's helping uh, small businesses weather current challenges, but also compete. So let's talk about some of the apprehensions that people have. And you were touching on this one here. One of the big fears about AI is the number of jobs that it will replace. And this is not without precedent, this fear. You just look at the way robotics changed the manufacturing industry. Should workers be worried? 
So this is a question that I feel like is on the minds of everyone um, uh, as I go around the country. And and it, it was important enough that we made this a key focus of an independent bipartisan commission uh, that went out around the country to investigate how we should really deal with AI from a policy matter. And um, what we did with this commission is it went out and uh, held listening sessions. And and in one of those sessions, we brought together um, uh, labor union uh, representatives. And what they said, and this is a group that has every sense to have as many people employed as possible, uh, is that they're not worried about cataclysmic job loss. Uh, they worry about how management will use AI for decisions and things like that. Uh, but I think with any technological change, uh, you know, we will see some disruption. We'll see new jobs. We'll see some jobs go away. Uh, but there are also two where we see shortages uh, that we need help and that AI can be helpful there. For example, uh, when it comes to uh, there's a nurse shortage in this country, and mm-hmm. we've seen hospital systems deploy AI to help nurses focus more on um, delivering care directly to their patients as opposed to yeah. uh, having to deal with some of the back-end issues yeah. and, and triage um, uh, what they're dealing with. So, um, But it's also important to be forward-thinking. Uh, you know, our commission recommended that you know we work on ingraining STEM education more into K-12 through and also, you know, we need more high tech workers here in this country now. Uh, and so it's important that we get uh, AI talent uh, here through an increased number of visas as well there, too. So we need to be forward thinking, but also realize that AI can help uh, limit job shortage issues. But also, um, you know, we're also not going to be dealing with some of the alarmist uh, concerns as well. Yeah. When we talk about the concerns that people have about this, in part because it is so new, it's the fear of the unknown. It's natural to be apprehensive about what you don't understand and worry about the technology getting ahead of the implications that it creates. Uh, As such, we have heard about regulating artificial intelligence. And I know generally the chamber is not a fan of government regulation, but are some guardrails necessary, if only to reassure skeptical consumers? Well, I think it's a good point you mentioned about um, the fear of the unknown. And what we found is that the more people understand about AI, uh, the less they fear it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, there are some risks out there that we need to make sure that we address. And and that's why our commission actually recommended some risk-based uh, approaches to regulations. Uh, not not a ban or a pause or, or really heavy-handed one-size-fits-all rules, but um, but but really looking at areas where if there's a risk, let's take some risk-based solutions. Um, and 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 this is one of the hallmarks of uh, the chamber's new responsible AI business leadership initiative we just launched, and um, that seeks to educate the public about the benefits and risks of AI, but also push for regulations that are risk-based. But taking this back to small business, though. Um, Half of small businesses actually accept that regulations, if they're done right, could help their business. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the other fear they have is having to deal with out-of-state privacy and AI rules, and not having the resources to compete with larger companies who can deal with that compliance issue. Uh, and so that's why it's important that Congress really put forward a national risk-based AI framework, and they also pass uh, a single national privacy law. So small businesses have have one clear set of rules that they have to follow. 
Again, Jordan Crenshaw is Senior Vice President of the Chamber's Technology Engagement Center. We reference this report on AI, its present and future uh, with respect to small business. Where do, uh, do folks in this initiative that you reference, where do folks get more information? You want to learn more about our reports or uh, the Responsible AI Business Leadership Initiative, you can visit us at uschamber.com. Jordan, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate the insight. Thank you so much. So once again, for nearly anyone with restricted driving privileges or a suspended driver's license, the Findlay Municipal Court is going to help folks get back on the road legally with next week's DUS clinic, which stands for uh, driving under suspension. So if that applies to you, uh, Municipal Court Judges Alan Hackenberg and Stephanie Bishop are with us uh, this morning. Thank you both for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Gloomy early autumn (laughs) morning here. Um, But this uh, may be a bright spot for some folks who find themselves uh, in a little bit of trouble uh, with respect to their uh, driving privileges. Uh, how many years have uh, have you done this? I mean, this I know this will the, be our fifth year. Fifth year, yeah. okay. And uh, and typically, how many people? And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but how many people do you see uh, through the course of one of these uh, events? Yeah. Last year, we helped sixty four individuals, and in the t- past four years, the total was three hundred and fourteen individuals. Wow. So, so it just depends on the year. Yeah, but, but that's amount. yeah, that is a, a fair number of folks who you know obviously have some issues uh, with their uh, driving privileges for one reason or another. And that's, you know, 300 fewer people that are out there driving illegally than uh, obviously. So that's a good thing. Talk a little bit about uh, this uh, clinic and what it entails. So the clinic will run from nine to 12 on Thursday, October 5th, Mm -hmm. and then one to four in the afternoon. We obviously are taking appointments, but we won't turn anyone away who mm-hmm. presents themselves. Yeah. We will have BMV representatives available by virtual. We are also hoping to get uh, some other local organizations uh, to uh, set up shop and help out uh, these individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have attorneys there, probably from the uh, public defender's office, probably from the prosecutor's office. Uh, we're looking, hopefully, to get JFS out there as well. Mm-hmm. So... With that team effort there, we hope to have another productive day. The reason why, uh, obviously, uh, attorneys, everybody has to be represented, uh, so that's uh, uh, very important. But you mentioned uh, job and family service, and BMV obviously is uh, self-explanatory with the driving thing, but but JFS, because uh, in order to get limited driving privileges for work, you have to be employed to go to work. So that's kind of the idea there? Well, the Department of Job and Family Services is uh, because anybody that is indigent and can be oh. deemed indigent, then the reinstatement okay. fees can be waived. Oh, so the okay. Department of Job and Family Services okay. would be there to assist with, uh, with those well. individuals. Okay. Correct. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, situations that people may find themselves in that you can help out with at an event like this. Okay, so there's a number of different ways an individual can get their license suspended, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's typically pretty daunting once they start compounding the different types of suspensions, but um, if they have failed to show insurance on a date of any type of traffic stop, then the Bureau of Motor Vehicles will suspend their license, so that's a non-compliance suspension. Mm -hmm. Um, They could have a court suspension. 
uh, 12-point suspension because the number of convictions with points has exceeded the allowed amount by the Bureau mm-hmm. of Motor Vehicles. So once they hit those 12 points, then they'll suspend their license. So okay. a, a number of different ways. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You know, the, there's, I think someone sang a song, 50 ways to <laughs> lose your lover. I, I think there may be 50, 50 ways, ways to lose, lose your license. license. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can get your license uh, suspended by not paying on your fines and court costs. Mm-hmm. There's mandatory license suspensions when you're convicted from an OVI and uh, from a dr- certain under driving or suspensions. Now, we can give yeah. you privileges under those. But yeah. Uh, and and that's uh, important too. That you know, this is not necessarily going to wipe everything uh, out. And you know, maybe in some cases you can get driving uh, your driver's license back without restrictions, but Correct. other cases will be certain driving privileges uh, reinstated. Correct. So. Yeah. So some individuals may not be able to get fully valid, mm-hmm. uh, but as long as they have everything else valid and just have one suspension or so that we can grant them privileges under, then they could get driving privileges to be able to lawfully yeah. drive. And- a lot of people don't have just one suspension. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's like, a number of different suspensions. That's interesting. That uh, things generally uh, kind of get wrapped around each other, and there uh, can be a lot of things to sort of unpack with some of these cases. There are, and it typically tends to snowball for individuals that uh, don't take care of the issues. So, yeah. uh, and and that you find, I'm sure, uh, is pretty common. People, you know. It can be daunting. One thing leads to another, and now you've got multiple issues that you got to deal with. Without a doubt, without a doubt, it, it, quite often when we see people, they've got uh, one little suspension, maybe not showing proof of insurance at the time of a speeding ticket, uh, then turns into a non-compliant suspension, and then they drive under non-compliant suspension, and then maybe they get a, a twelve-point suspension, and it just sort of uh, snowballs. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the goal would be to hopefully. If we can't get them completely valid, we'll get them to a point where they can at least get privileges to drive on a suspended license, or certainly at the worst case scenario, they have a roadmap. Sometimes they just have to wait out a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully we can give them a roadmap to get to a point where they can come back and say, okay, I've waited this, I've got this done, and now can I get some privileges? So you've got uh, a plan to, yes. to work. Yeah, so uh, that uh, is maybe sometimes even more valuable than anything else, uh, just knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so there are a couple of things that, that people will need uh, if, uh, if and when they, they show up uh, for this. Um, kind of walk us through what this is going to be like when somebody fo- uh, shows up. Okay, so some individuals may need to bring a form of payment, depending on what type of license suspension they have. They may need to pay a reinstatement, or I'm sorry, a, a off fines and court costs or make mm-hmm. a payment towards that. Mm-hmm. Money's not required, but it's helpful. Um, if they have a license forfeiture because they've not made a payment, then they can engage in a payment plan as well. If they're trying to get driving privileges, they'll need to bring proof of current um, insurance as well as employment. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything in regards to their employment, a, a pay stub, a work ID card, or a letter from the employer, that way they can get those driving privileges. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if they are trying to get the reinstatement fee waiver, they would need to bring proof of Medicaid, um, SNAP benefits, Ohio Works First Assistance, um, something from the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs if they're receiving the pension benefits okay. or um, Social Security <laughs> income. So uh, okay. it just depends. And if they don't have any of that, they can just show up and we can try to assist them um, in order to either get 
valid or get those privileges. Again, that's part of the point of an event like this is to kind of hold people's hands and walk them through what needs to happen in order to get this taken care of. Correct. Important to note, and this is one of the things whenever we talk about these uh, events, this is not a a get out of jail free card. It's not we're going to wipe the slate (laughs) clean. There still has have to be the, you know, proper channels followed and, and so on. But again, roadmap is the idea. Correct. And that's what you know, people need uh, when they get sort of behind that BMV uh, situation where they just don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We'll- um, so, again, this is happening next Thursday. As you mentioned, uh, the preference is to make an appointment that uh, always helps. Don't have to. But how would folks go about making an appointment then? If they'd like to schedule an appointment, they can contact the clerk's office. The phone number is 419 419- Four two four seven one four one. All right, and again, it is coming up next Thursday. We've got a link on our webpage for more information from the uh, Finley, Finley Municipal Court, the uh, DOS Clinic for Driving Under Suspension uh, for anyone with uh, restricted or suspended uh, driving privileges. Can I help you work through that? mess and uh, get you back on the road legally. Again, Judges Alan Hackenberg, Stephanie Bishop with us uh, this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by. We Thanks appreciate for having it. us. Thank you. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Well, I tell you what, these uh, cyber scams are getting really serious, and nobody is immune from this. Um, (laughs) Last week, the city of Fort Lauderdale lost $1.2 million to a scam artist. Apparently, an entity called Moss Construction sent an invoice to the city, and officials authorized the payment. (laughs) and just sent a random invoice to the city and officials said okay we'll pay it 1.2 million dollars uh as it turns out the construction company did not actually exist and it is unclear if the city will be able to recover any of the money according to reginald andre of arc solvers Cybersecurity, if it is an international transfer which it is suspected to be uh, the money transfer, they didn't actually cut a check. So it's not like they can stop payment on the check. They did a, a money transfer. Um, I don't know. Cities may want to go back to cutting actual checks here um, because they transferred the money. And if it is an international transfer, as it is suspected to be, it's going to be really difficult because if it's going to a country like Iran or North Korea or China, it's going to be darn near impossible to get it back. $1.2 million vanished from the Fort Lauderdale Treasury. Uh, police, police urge citizens to be careful when checking texts and emails. And they might, might want to give city employees a refresher as well. Or at least whoever is uh, authorizing payment for, for these things. You would think they do a little research. $1.2 million. What would this be for? That was... What did they think it was for? Anyway, sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the broken news. A golfer in Michigan who ripped off his shirt and threatened others is no longer welcome on the putting green. <laughs> there is video footage of this. John Reeb uh, just came unglued, 
took off his shirt during a confrontation and asked other golfers if they wanted to test God. (laughs) Mr. Reeb is now banned from the Crooked Creek Golf Course where the incident took place and a uh, nearby course called Cherrywood Golf Club uh, has also proactively banned Mr. Reeb. Um, It does say, the story goes on to say, it appears that he does have a criminal history, but it's unclear as to whether he will be charged. I don't know if he actually committed a crime in this case, but he's no stranger to law enforcement. (laughs) Ripped off his shirt and asked other golfers if they wanted to test God. Right then. Um, even closer to home, an Ohio man is now facing charges for concocting a tall tale lying to authorities about a bear attack because he was lost in the woods and he needed help getting out. He was uh, visiting West Virginia. <laughs> he was visiting West Virginia. It all began with a distress call that sent first first responders on a wild goose chase through the woods of uh, Kanawha County, West Virginia. Um, Christian Leonhart claimed that he was trapped in the wilderness beset by a marauding bear. And so, I'm trapped, I'm being chased by a bear. With a dwindling phone battery, he dialed up dispatchers, painting a vivid picture of his dire situation. Rescue teams, complete with flashing lights and sirens, sprang into action, attempting to scare off the bear and rescue Mr. Uh, Leonhardt. Um, They even considered launching a helicopter to the vicinity of the uh, missing hiker. But here's the twist. After a two-hour search, they discovered the missing hiker safe and sound, no bear scratches, no evidence that a bear was even anywhere near the, uh, the place where the uh, hiker was found. In a plot twist worthy of an Oscar nomination, it turns out he was just looking for a ride out of the woods. He just needed a ride. I'm tired of hiking. I need a ride out of the woods. Well, he got a ride out of the woods, all right, and he now uh, faces uh, charges despite issuing an apology. (laughs) All right, then. Uh, This story out of Florida, where two siblings drove away from their Florida home when their mother took away their electronic gadgets as punishment. (laughs) They decided to run away from home. Mom confiscated their computers, their gaming machines, and uh, so on, and they weren't too happy, so they decided to run away to California. Uh, They made it 200 miles in Mom's car before they were stopped by deputies. The kid's mother had reported the car stolen and the children missing, allowing police to quickly spot the vehicle. Um, They were were thinking they were looking for a car thief, though, that maybe the kids had been kidnapped. But much to authorities' surprise, a 10-year-old male driver and his 11-year-old sister (laughs) exited the vehicle after it was pulled over. (laughs) 10 and 11 years old. 10-year-old stole the car. And the uh, the county police department said in a statement, uh, it was a bit of a shock to deputies. 
After an interview, police found no indication that the children were mistreated and the runaways were returned to their mom. (laughs) If they thought that having their electronic gaming console and their computers and phones confiscated was rough punishment enough, I'm guessing when they got home, you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, Let's see. And a couple of other uh, items here in the uh, broken news. A quirky turn of events in Simi Valley, California. A 63-year-old man by the name of Gary Laskowski found himself in a comically perplexing situation leading to his arrest for what could only be described as the most unintentionally entertaining display of firearm usage perhaps ever recorded in uh, Simi Valley. According to the local police department, it all began with a suspicious incident involving a doorbell ringing phantom who then decided to play hide-and-seek in some bushes at 6.30 in the morning on Sunday. Imagine the surprise on the face of the first responding officer when he stumbled upon Mr. Laskowski emerging from the shrubbery, clutching his trusty firearm. Uh, Apparently, uh, Mr. Laskowski, in an intoxicated state, thought he was defending his home against an invasion of intruders. Complete with shots fired in his own house and garage. He also hit a neighbor's parked car and even their garage. Uh, Turns out that there were no intruders to be found. It was just a case of ding-dong ditch. He was being punked. He was being pranked by some neighbor kids. (laughs) Might want to not ding-dong ditch this guy anytime in the future. Mr. Leskowski earned himself a starring role in the Ventura County Jail's guest list booked for gross negligence discharge of a firearm. But probably made his point to the neighbor kids. He's not going to be ding-dong ditched anytime soon. And uh, one other item here in the uh, broken news, which again is relatively close to home. A story from Mike's Car Wash of Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, where workers needed help when they discovered a groundhog hiding uh, underneath a uh, the bumper of one of the cars going through the car wash. Customer brought the car in after a bird got stuck in the front grill, but she had no idea another critter was trapped in the car. Uh, workers of the car wash along with uh, neighboring Jiffy Lube employees, eventually decided that the best course of action was contact Fort Wayne Animal Control. And the uh, front of the car was actually disassembled uh, to get the groundhog out. He was cute, but definitely mad that we were trying to take him from his warm home, according to one of the workers. After we got him out, he ran to the back of the car and hopped up on the rear suspension had to take off the left rear tire arm to get him out. (laughs) The groundhog, nicknamed Mike, (laughs) they named the groundhog. Mike was taken by animal control to be checked for injuries and rehabbed before being released. (laughs) So at least it has a happy ending. Nobody was hurt, not even Mike the groundhog. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. The odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you 
to your regularly scheduled programming. Did you know more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection? AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping Americans safe in dangerous times. This is News Director Matt Demchek. AM 1330 WFIN is here to serve you, and we take seriously our commitment to our listeners. We would love to hear what you value most about AM radio. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM. So now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. A new WalletHub study. WalletHub does uh, some really interesting studies. Um, more than anything, really, they just they, they crunch numbers uh, and, and they compile publicly available data to come up with these lists. And I love lists. I've often mentioned I love lists because they they put our lives in some semblance of order. You know what I mean? I mean? We're full of disorder in our lives, and these lists, you know, uh, add some order and <laughs> such to our lives. So I love these. Um, so this new Wallet Hub study uh, finds that New York and New Jersey are among the top states to live, which surprised me. Um, because, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, they compared all 50 states. I mean, if you would ask me the best states to live, New York, New Jersey would not necessarily have been at the top of my list. But that's what they say. Uh, they compared 50, all 50 states based on 51 separate livability categories. And uh, I don't have the full list of all 51 but uh, but basically, uh, they looked at and let me see if I can housing costs, home ownership rate, uh, the percentage of individuals living in poverty, income growth, the percentage of the population with a high school diploma or higher, the percent of the population that is insured, the average weekly working hours, uh, the crime rate. And then I thought this was kind of interesting. They included restaurants per capita, number of restaurants per capita. So I guess that being a proxy for having it having it easy, you know, having convenience and, and stuff. In all, there were 51 different livability categories. Uh, the number one state overall was actually Massachusetts. Massachusetts, number one. Um largely because it was number one in terms of uh, education and health. So that was, um, let's see here, education and health was one of the uh, main categories. Affordability, economy, education and health, quality of life, and safety. The top five, or were the uh, five top-line categories and then different metrics under each of those headings. But uh, Massachusetts, number one for education and health, and it uh, was really strong, in all of the rest of the categories except affordability. It was not quite so affordable, but at New Jersey, kind of the same way. Ranked number one for safety, believe it or not, um, but almost dead last for affordability. Still higher for education and health and overall quality of life, so on and so forth. So New Jersey was number two. Uh, New Hampshire was third. Uh, New York, we mentioned New York was up there at number four. 
and Wyoming was number five. So an interesting cross-section there of the United States in the top five states to live in, according to Wallet Hub. Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Hampshire, New York, and Wyoming. Um, Ohio ranked 33rd overall. Um, let's see here. Um, our best category was quality of life uh, in Ohio is number 15. Our worst category was economy, actually, ranking 49th. So Ohio, 33rd overall. Michigan was number 25. Hmm. Actually, Michigan did have, it says here anyway, a better quality of life, uh, according to the uh, numbers. And uh, Michigan also uh, did not fare well in terms of economy. So... <laughs> Obviously, before the uh, auto workers strike, this is when they uh, put these numbers together. But uh, Ohio, 33rd, Michigan, 25th, the worst states to live in overall, in case you're curious, places you want to avoid, Louisiana, Alaska, and New Mexico was dead last. So... Right around the corner from the month of October, and the month begins at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts with the youth theater production of the SpongeBob musical. And joining us uh, this morning is uh, Craig Van Rentergem, going to coordinate youth theater and all of the education uh, programs uh, involved in the uh, uh, MCPA. Uh, Also, uh, Director Samantha Henry. Uh, Samantha, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. And Lily Perkins, who is a member of the cast, what role are you playing? I play Sandy Cheeks in the show. Okay, very good. Now, uh, I'm told... That uh, Lily, you've not uh, done this before. Been on the radio and do this, uh, you know, promotion thing. But this is not your first youth theater production, right? No, this is not my first production. I've been with MCPA Youth Theater since I was a freshman. Wow! And you are a junior, a junior now, and you attend uh, Finley High School. Finley High School. Okay. Well, uh, so this is this is like a huge cast uh, for uh, the SpongeBob musical. I think we have fifty-eight people in the cast. Fifty-eight people. Wow. 70 total if you include all the behind-the-scenes technical crew, Which, students as Yeah, well. that's so, that's all youth yeah. uh, as well, right? It's all youth as well, helping yeah. build the set with makeup and hair. and oh, yeah, It's, it's so. one of the cool things about uh, youth theater. It is, that they can be involved on stage or behind the scenes and... It takes it takes a village to put that to put together a show. It truly <laughs> Especially does. one like this, yes, because this is just uh, absolutely uh, huge. Is this bigger than most youth theater productions? This this one is one of our biggest bigger ones for this age group we've had in a while. I think, mm-hmm. um, but we tend to hover around this number. Well, that was the other thing that I was going to ask. Um, you know, different shows for different ages. What are what are the ages of this production? So we have six through twelve. Sixth through twelfth grade. Yes. Okay, uh, so you're one of the uh, grizzled veterans, then, Lily, yes, as, one of the as, this, uh, as this one goes. Uh, so, uh, talk a little bit about. I mean, folks are familiar with SpongeBob, the character, and sort of the um, 
backstory, I guess, if you will. Talk a little bit about the uh, musical. What's going on here? Yeah, so SpongeBob the Musical takes us into Bikini Bottom, where the stakes are really high because the town is under attack from a sea volcano, and we follow SpongeBob and his friends as they try to save the fate of the town. Okay. Um, So that's got to be an awful lot of fun creating this whole uh, SpongeBob universe on stage. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about... uh, you know, you've been rehearsing for how long to uh, put this uh, together? Since the beginning of August. The beginning of August. So this is a, uh, you know, you've been at this for uh, for a little while. What is the biggest thing that you, well, let's, let me ask you about this show uh, in particular. What's, uh, what's your favorite part of this show? One thing that's been different and exciting for me during this show is that I have had to learn how to do a country accent because Sandy Cheeks is a country squirrel. Okay. And so I have really enjoyed bringing on that Southern character and Southern charm in this role. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, what about you theater uh, overall? I mean, again, you have done a number of uh, productions. What keeps bringing you back? Yeah, I've been performing for about eight years now. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I love about youth theater is just like the family that it creates. Mm -hmm. You know, I've made a lot of my greatest friends through the show. And it's an outlet where I feel like I can express myself and I have the support of my friends that I've made here. Um, Now, are you always as part of the cast? I mean, because I know some, uh, some folks will be part of the cast then we'll be part of the crew because i mean you can do all kinds of different things yeah uh primarily i stay on stage in on the stage. cast yeah. it's just where i enjoy it most mm-hmm. but uh again uh youth have the opportunity to do all of these things they do if they're if they want to be involved somehow and not want to be on stage and they love to be behind the scenes they can help with lighting sound stage management uh, set building hair and makeup there's there's a place for everyone yeah yes uh and and that's again part of the uh part of the goal of youth theaters to expose kids to all of that it is to give them yeah give them all the opportunities to get their hands on all parts of theater yeah um what is it like uh samantha to direct this uh, cast this size uh um this in a is show not like my this. first rodeo necessarily <laughs> directing a large group of people. Yeah. Um, I think the closest number I've had to this before has been like 54-ish adults. Okay. Um, kids so a different dynamic with yes. the kids. Um, the kids in some ways are easier. They're easier because they kind of unapologetically follow you and listen to you. So yeah. if I ask them to do something, they're not as embarrassed to maybe try something new or try something they've never done before. I would imagine also that they don't have uh, as many preconceived notions going in about what is. Yes, and a lot of them are just excited to be included and excited for their family to see them. Yeah. They want to do a good job, which is exciting. And um, I like working with new actors that maybe have never done anything before and getting Mm -hmm. them to see that they can do things that they didn't think they could do. Mm -hmm. So I enjoy that kind of challenge. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't come with its <laughs> of course of course but, but then yeah I think we all as a directorial team really enjoy working yeah. with 
students. Um, how many uh, youth theater productions do you usually do in the course of a calendar year? Um, in the course of a calendar year, we do anywhere from two to three okay. um, productions. And again, uh, geared toward different ages. This is correct. This six is six or twelve. twelve. We have yeah. our we have um, Finding Nemo Junior coming up in the winter time for grades three through five. Since you're doing the undersea thing right. anyway, keep, you may we're as well keep, we're keep, keep the, the water going. under. Yes, yeah, that for makes sure. sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, Lily, let me ask you this. Uh, so you're getting close to, I would guess, uh, aging out of youth theater, I guess. You're a yeah. junior now. Um, what's next? Is this something that you are thinking maybe pursuing professionally moving forward? or I have not really considered pursuing musical okay. theater moving forward. It's been a big part of my life, though, and I definitely mm. want to keep it that way in college and moving forward. Because there are all kinds of uh, different ways of uh, doing that, obviously. Yeah, I think that's my favorite thing about youth theater is it, it, they're learning about being on stage, but they learn a lot of just life skills in general. Mm-hmm. Speaking to people um, and doing presentations... Um, and just working with others yeah. and that sort of thing. And again, it is one of those things that you can do uh, forever. I yeah. mean, you know, there are opportunities, uh, community groups. And Lily might go to school and decide she wants to be a doctor or a surgeon or whatever mm-hmm. and then decide, oh, in my free time I want to do community right. theater. Right, exactly. And she's learned some of those skills. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, uh, and obviously... Um, instilling that that love of the the theater moving forward is another big part of yes, this. Yes, very big part. Um, this is just one of many educational programs, the Marathon Center. Um, talk a little bit about this. Is the stuff that kind of goes on behind the scenes a lot? Of yeah, this. true. So our our education program goes beyond beyond youth theater. So youth theater, we have. Two productions a year. We have summer camps. We have workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a visual art club for students that like to paint and draw. Uh, we have uh, music classes for preschool. We have there's something even for adults. We've been dabbling with dance classing, dance classes and right. things. So we try to educate yeah. everyone from young to young at heart. Yeah. By the way, uh, we're talking about things that are coming up in the uh, month of October. Uh, you also have a uh, Spark Series uh, event coming up we in do. October. We do. So. Um, we have a great Spark Series shows where um, school-aged children are bussed or uh, driven to our center. Mm-hmm. And we have Jack and the Beanstalk coming yeah. um, in October. That yeah. is uh, that is terrific. And uh, while we're on the subject of uh, things going on in the uh, month of October, should also mention you've got the uh, final uh, final one of the uh, food truck uh, events coming up Correct. Uh, that next is, week. That is coming up next week as well and uh the other big main stage uh show is pretty woman pretty the musical. woman the musical a lot yeah. going on in october and tickets are still available for that right? tickets are still available for that show okay as well. and for uh the spongebob musical how do folks get tickets sure um tickets are available at our website mcpa.org or they can call our box office um they are $16 for adults and $13 for students and senior citizens. All right. So uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for uh, more information uh, about uh, that show and everything else going on in the uh, month of October. And we've just kind of scratched the surface. It's getting busy at the uh, MCA. Getting very busy, yes. Uh, <laughs> Craig Van Derengram. Van Rentergrem is uh, with us, uh, along with Samantha Henry and uh, Lily Perkins from the SpongeBob musical Youth Theater production. Uh, coming up, that one op- is uh, what's the date? Opens on October sixth. October sixth. October sixth okay. and seventh. Yeah. So coming up next weekend, uh, guys. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate you, it. Really, best it. of luck. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Once again, a reminder, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, that, of course, goodmornings.net. 
Coming up tomorrow on the program, federal student loan payments are set to restart next month. As the pandemic-induced moratorium ends, a new CNET money study finds uncertainty and anxiety that put many borrowers at risk of financial scams. I'll tell you what you need to know. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.